Our passage this morning comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Good morning. Delighted to be with you. Thank you for being here to worship with us as we continue in our vision series. Uh, it's especially good that you're here gathering with us together as this is still the section of our vision statement that we're working through, that we are a gathering church. Um, so this morning, uh, we, we are glad to be together and to worship together. We have just a little bit of time left. This is one of the last two messages that will cover what it means to be a gathering church, what we believe God has set out for us uh, as a body of Christ. And, uh, and so this morning... Um, We'll kind of begin drawing the net. Uh, We have one more service, and then we'll shift over into what it means to be a church that is a teaching church. And we're going to do that by going through the book of Galatians, um, teaching through that. So, um, as I said, you're in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be there together, but just as we dive in this morning, I'd ask if you wouldn't mind, join me in a brief word of prayer. Holy Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who reveals yourself. And as the writer to the Hebrews said, you have spoken through many different ways throughout the ages, through the fathers, through the prophets, but most recently and quite honestly, most perfectly through the Son. We are so grateful for the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We need him. So we ask, Lord, that you would teach us this morning, that you would rekindle our hearts, uh, help us to bat away any of the struggles of the week, the distractions, uh, even of the moment that we can hear your voice so that we can learn and grow and be changed and walk as your children, both before you in the beauty of that relationship and into a lost and dying world, so that we can tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this, that he would be honored. So as we we dive in to this last, this morning we're going to be talking about the fact that we are uh, to be a, a gathering church that encourages one another. And if, as you read through the passage, you're paying attention, you saw that that's actually at the tail end of the passage that we're going to read. So we, in a sense, we start... We begin at the end of the section of Scripture that we're reading. But the reason for that is because 
the, the passage that we read gives us a series of instructions. In the center part of it, the passage is focused on what are we called to do. In fact, they're really easy to spot. There are three items. They all start with let us. So the writer says, let us do this, this, and this. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up. We'll go in more detail into those in just a moment. But that is the texture that we're getting into. And as the, this is, this is a hinge moment. You know, it, in the very beginning of verse 19, he starts by saying, therefore, brothers, right? If you've ever heard it said, if you've been in any sort of teaching circles, it's probably pretty common. Somebody at some point has said, you know, the word therefore is there so that you, so that you go, okay, what is the therefore therefore? What is it there to draw our attention to? And as the, as the scholars um, Hendrickson and Kistemacher point out, this is actually a hinge moment in the entire book of Hebrews. So up until this point, from chapters 1 to this point in chapter 10, it has primarily been focused on dogmatic teaching, especially on the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? What is he about? And at this point, we're shifting gears because from this point forward, it primarily becomes, okay, what are we supposed to do with him? What are we supposed to do now? So what we have is we have these three items. It's kind of a reverse of the Great Commission where God gives us one command and three different practices. Instead, we have three commands, but they're bookended. They're bookended on the one hand, at the very beginning, in verse 19, they're bookended by a why. Why do we carry out these commands? And then on the back side, what's kind of undergirding all of it is the how from verse 25, that we are to not forsake the assembling together as some have. So we are to gather together. We are to regularly gather together and to be encouraging one another within that. So for purposes of the message, kind of draws the, the idea that undergirding the commands that we're going to walk through this morning that we are being encouraged for the purposes of carrying out these commands. We are encouraged to gather as a body of believers, and then within that, we are gathering together to be encouraged as a body of believers in how to better carry those things out. And it's a cyclical nature. So we get together Sunday morning, as well as other times, for instance, the corporate prayer tonight, our community groups, even just gathering together one-on-one. -on -one. We gather together, we encourage each other to walk out our faith. As we encourage each other in our faith, that helps us then obey and carry out those commands. And as we obey, it encourages us that much more to gather together and receive from him. And that, David, you stole my line um, this morning in our, in our Sunday school class, but that, is a, that creates a spiraling effect where we continue growing up and up and up until one day we see him face to face. So we're going to start this morning by first looking at the why, and then we'll go into the three let us statements. But first we need to understand why we are to be encouraged. What is the ground of our encouragement? We find that in verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the ground of our confidence, the ground of our encouragement for this whole entire thing is the person and ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is what we need to be the source of our encouragement and then the source of our obedience to him of Hebrews is writing a letter to the Hebrews who are scattered around the world at that time, what they call the diaspora, those who had been carried away and then scattered out, whether through necessity of jobs or even originally those who had been scattered from the, the exile during the period of the exile when Israel had been carried away through people like Babylon. And he's writing to all these people who are scattered around, many of whom have now learned of and received the message of Jesus Christ. They have come to faith in him, and they're learning how to live underneath his reign and rule as his, as his brothers, as children of God. And yet, they're looking back at the old way, the old system, and they're longing for the things that they, that they remember, the comfort of the familiar of the Old Testament law and Jewish tradition. And he has been focusing a great deal of time, 10 chapters, on pointing out that the old way, going back to the old way is worthless. It is empty. It's not worth your time because Christ is the point of it all. In fact, you could sum up the entirety of the book of Hebrews as Christ is better. Jesus is better. He's spent the entirety of the book up until this time, pointing that out over and over and over again. Let me run through a few of them for you. In chapter 1, he points out that Jesus is superior to all angels and any created being. In chapter 2, he points out that Jesus is superior because he is the only source of salvation from sin. In chapter 3, he points out that he is superior to Moses. In chapter 4, he points out that he is a superior high priest because he is morally perfect. Every other high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins. Jesus doesn't have any, which means he only, has to, he only has to offer sacrifices for you. Then in chapter 7, he is a superior high priest because he is eternal. Every other priest, even if he ministers on your behalf, dies. Jesus will never. So he is your high priest forever and always. In chapter 8, he is the mediator of a new and better covenant, one that, among other things, is no longer tied to a specific place, a physical geographical location. God can be truly worshipped anywhere through this mediator, Jesus Christ. And finally, we come culminating in chapter 10, where he points out that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice because it was a sacrifice once for all, up until this point in the chapter, he's been going over and over again the fact that up, in, up until this, in the old covenant, the priests had to offer sacrifices daily for sin. All of those animals having their blood spilled to cover over temporarily because God said the blood of bulls and goats can never satisfy the wrath of a holy God. But instead, Jesus came along at the proper time the, the fullness of revelation. And he was the one sacrifice that because of who he is, because of who he is as the son of God, as the morally perfect one, as the great high priest, 
He died one time and that covered it all. That covered it all for every single person who puts their faith in him. And so he's, he's detailed all of these things up to this point. It's a little bit like Thanksgiving dinner, right? You don't every, have everybody come in and just immediately grab stuff and start eating. You set the table first. It's this grand display of all of the gathered food that you're going to have together. And then once it's all set, let's dig in. And that's what the writer is doing. He has given you everything you need to worship and glory at the feet of Christ. And then he says, now, dig in. So because of who he is, because he, of what he has done, we can live in the way that we are called to in these let us statements. So this morning, remember that as, as we are an encouraging church in our gathering, that is the point of our singing. That is the point of our preaching. That is the point of when we do baptisms. That is the point of when we do communion together. That's the point of ultimately when we're talking to each other is that we are reminding ourselves and holding aloft who Jesus is to help us live out as he has called us to. The first letter statement is found in verse 22. So because of who near, and it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. So, the beauty of this is that God says through the Holy Spirit who inspired the writer, you are now free to come to me, to come to me fully. It's interesting that immediately before that, when he's talking about what Jesus has done, he says that he gives us confidence to go into the holy places through the curtain that is his flesh. That's a direct picture to the Old Testament law, where the tabernacle, and then, and then after that, the temple, had a veil. It had a heavy curtain. And I mean, it weighed a lot. That was a barrier from anybody going into the most holy place to the very, in a sense, physical, earthly throne room of God, the Ark of the Covenant, except for the high priest on the proper day to offer atonement for sin. And yet now, we are being told that we are to go all the way in, all the way into the holy places. That stands out to us in one sense. But I want to give you kind of a historical sense of how this stands out to the Jewish mind. Because up until this point, on one level, there are plenty of, there are plenty of texts where God talks about him drawing near to us drawing near to his people that he told the nation of Israel. And yet, in a very real, real way, there are many, many, many texts which God always made it clear there is a barrier between you and I. We are not in direct contact with one another. Just a few that stand out. In Genesis 3, after the fall, right? The very beginning where it started, God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. And that is... That is judgment, that is a sense of consequence, that they lost the blessings that they had been given prior to their sin, but it is also the message that they have been separated from him because the garden is where they walked and talked with him face to face. In Exodus 19, verses 10 through 13, Exodus 20, remember, is the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19 is where God is setting, up, setting the stage 
for Moses to receive the Ten Commandments. He tells Moses that he is going to come down from heaven, that he is going to make a big display by coming down in fire and smoke and a cloud on the mountain, and that he is going to show himself so that the people knew. So he does draw near, but he tells them, set limits, set a barrier around the mountain, because if any of you or any animal touches it, you die. In Exodus 33, after their sin with the golden calf, and after God judges them for their idolatry, he tells Moses that he is not going to go up in their midst because they are a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and in his anger, he may consume them. Once, he can, once Moses begs that God does go with them in Exodus 33, God eventually reveals himself to Moses, but says, you can only see my back, you can't see my face, because you cannot see my face, my full glory, and live. In Judges chapter 13, verse 22, Samson's parents um, are, are getting the, me the message from an angel of God that Samson is going to be born to them as a deliverer. When the angel miraculously enters up into a pillar of fire uh, when they make a sacrifice, they immediately react with the words, we are going to die because we have seen God face to face. They recognized that this was a barrier. First Chronicles 13, verses 9 and 10. The Ark of the Covenant had been taken by had been taken by the Philistines. God had judged the Philistines. The Philistines got scared. They returned it to the people of Israel. The people of Israel back to Jerusalem for, for purposes of worship. The Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem on a cart, and it says that the oxen stumbled, and one of the guys who's driving the cart reaches back and touches the Ark to steady it with his hands, and God strikes him dead because... He, sh he showed himself too familiar with the person of God. And then the one that really stands out to me is this. Isaiah 6, his famous vision, begins with the words, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah died because after God blessed him in many respects as king, that he became proud and decided he was going to take on more authority than he deserved. And he went into the holy place of the temple as king, a role that was not his, to offer incense. That's on the, the holy place, the altar of incense. He didn't even go into the holy of holies. And God struck him with leprosy. And that's the backdrop for then Isaiah's famous vision where he looks and he sees God high and lifted up and he says, woe is me for I am undone because he knew what happened to Isaiah and I am a man of unclean lips. That's the backdrop to the Jewish mind that then the writer says, go all the way in, draw near, don't hold yourself out. Go in with full assurance of faith. I don't know this morning if you have doubts, if you wrestle. That is something that happens to us sometimes. That There are questions that aren't answered, but God says in Christ, if you are in Christ as his child, you are invited all the way in. 
You don't have to doubt. You can look at what Jesus has already done and you can go all the way in to see him, to have your questions answered, to have your fears comforted. You are allowed to follow wholeheartedly without, without fear. We're even commanded to do that. And our hearts clean from guilty conscience, our bodies washed. The hearts and bodies, right? That is, in one sense, that's a picture of salvation because it is, as God transforms us in justification and the body's washed, it's a picture of baptism because it, it's the visible display that that has happened. But it's also about our, both our inner life and our outer life. So it is having our thoughts and attitudes cleansed and it is having our actions cleansed as well. So it points us to the way forward that we can come to him having received the once-for-all sacrifice that justifies us and continue to receive the forgiveness that we need to live out the life that he has called us to, to live as his children, holy and blameless before him. A little while ago, our family was given a blessing. Um, there was a, a concert in town, um, guy, a Christian artist named Josh Wilson, and another one, Andy Osanga, uh, came to give a, a concert that was kind of themed around um, adoptive and foster care. And since we have adoptive children, uh, we, among others, were blessed with the chance to go for free. And not only to go for free, but to then like go ahead of time, kind of a backstage pass kind of thing, and, and meet them and talk with them and hang out with them for a little while. And it was a lot of fun. The kids had an amazing, even you can put yourself in the position, maybe the, the best concert that you would enjoy going to, right? Getting the opportunity to have your tickets paid, to go backstage and meet the artist, and then sit there in the front row and enjoy the concert and have a blast, and you go, you know what, I'm just going to sit in the back. I'll just, I can hear fine from here, it's okay. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why would we not want to take the invitation to go all the way in? So as we gather together, we challenge each other. We encourage ourselves in the preaching as we sing together to, to see Jesus and to see the invitation that we have to relationship with him. We, we preach the word of God so that we can see the truth, so that it can reveal our sins, and so that we're given the opportunity to confess, repent, and have our sins forgiven. We take communion to remind ourselves of Christ's sacrifice and the fact that we are joined to him. We're going to get together tonight to see what God has called John Morrison and his family to do as, um, as they plant the church there in Hickory. We have all these opportunities to be encouraged and to be encouraging one another as we serve. But we don't stop there. In verse 23, we are encouraged to hold fast, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And the reason for he who is promised is faithful. The confession of our hope. It's really simple. It's what's already been laid out for us. The confession of our hope is that Jesus Christ died for my sins and for yours. He, his death paid the penalty so that I don't have to. And then he didn't just die, but God showed that the sacrifice was accepted because he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven where he still lives to be my leader, my guide, my Lord. 
That is the confession of our hope. So if you're familiar with it, the Mandalorian tagline for their, for their code is, this is the way. Forget the Mandalorian, this is the way. Okay? That's, that's, yes, it's funny, but no, it's not a joke. This is the way. And then he says, because he who, is, who has promised himself is faithful. Repeatedly throughout, um, throughout the New Testament and even a couple of times in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer has used the idea of shadows and light, shadow versus reality, to showcase the fact that this is always the plan. Jesus was always what we were leading to. And so now being revealed, we want to hold fast to that. We don't want to, to substitute any other idea, any other doctrine as what we pin our hope to. Uh, in eight, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, the writer of the Hebrews compares the, the tabernacle and the old priestly system and says that they were shadows, the reality is Christ. In chapter 10, verse 1, and then, and then also Paul in Colossians 2, 16, points out that the entirety of the Old Testament ceremonial law was just a shadow, that the reality is Christ. And for us, the challenge is that our souls leak, right? That during the course of the days, the weeks, if we are not regularly being refilled, if we are not regularly receiving and being challenged, that the cares of this world, the concerns of our flesh, our personal sin nature and the temptations that, that go with it, and the challenges that the devil throws in our path, they suck away our energy, our passion, our joy, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully not, but potentially our faithfulness to him. And so we need to be regularly refreshed. We need, or our hearts are weak, that we come alongside one another to encourage us and point us to that hope that Jesus is the way. Years ago, a, a mentor of mine, Bob Furster, uh, he helped me start a college ministry um, out of the church that I was attending at the time. And about nine months in, things had been going really well up until that point. And then uh, we had a big blow up with a couple of people involved who were upset um, about a certain teaching. And then it went, it got very personal very fast. Um, and I was miserable. And I remember I finally called him one night um, and, and asked if we could get together, and I, I met up with him, and he opened, he opened the door. I'm not proud of this, but I, he opened the door, and I literally said, it's all true, right? Everything, that's, everything that we believe, it's all true, right? He said, yes. I said, then at some point, isn't it just supposed to work? And he, thankfully, he didn't laugh. He smiled, um, and he gave me a hug and pulled me inside. And, uh, and he sat there and we talked and prayed for a couple of hours. Um, and then he kept talking and praying with me over the course of weeks uh, until the Lord worked things out. Um, and there was even restoration, thank God, uh, someday. But, um, but that is what we are here for. In our corporate gathering, that is what the singing is supposed to do. So when we sing things like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, 
and I'm struggling with remembering that God has been faithful, but those words remind me of God's faithfulness in generations past. And it also calls my attention to the fact that I have sung that so many times, recalling specific things that he's done for me. And it helps me to believe that he is faithful now and will be faithful in the future. The preaching of the word continues to, to encourage us. In a few moments, we're going we're gonna to partake of the Lord's Supper together to see, I mean, you want to talk about faithfulness. You want to talk about what God has done for you, that he has been faithful to his word. Seeing Christ crucified for us, broken and bleeding for us as we take communion together is a beautiful picture of that. And we share that with one another. And then, not only are we asked to draw near, to hold fast, but we are encouraged to stir up each other. To stir one another up. To consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. In one sense, this is a no-brainer, right? It's, it's maybe the most easy to grab, grab a hold of and go, I mean, how do we do that? All sorts of different ways. If you have seen, if God, has, if God speaks to you this morning, don't just go, yay, and go home. Tell somebody. And greater involvement later on this afternoon when we get together and we hear about what John Morrison's doing in Hickory. And God says that he wants you to be involved in some way. He stirs your mind up. And you consider, okay, what's next? Figure out how to take next steps. See if there are other people who might also be passionate about it. Get them excited how to, how to support. There's a host of ways. We, as we gather together corporately, we get stirred up and then we're invited to poke each other. Not in a bad way, obviously. Not going, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. But instead, to sit there and go, look, I see you're excited about this. Why don't we figure out, I, I, I see that you're excited about reaching your neighbors. Why don't we figure out how we're going to do that? How, are you going to do that through service? Are you going to do that through a Bible study? Are you going to do that through um, you know, a host of different ways? You, are you going to invite them to remedy? That we stir one another up to thinking through these things and then figuring out what God has called us to do. So you can see we're, we're encouraging each other. And as we are encouraging each other, we're living it out more and more by grace. So this morning as we close, I was trying to think of, okay, in one sense, this is all practical application, right? It's, but if you need extra handles, if you need something simple to grab onto and go, all right, but what do I do next? And let me encourage you with three things. First, I'd ask, show up. It's really simple. It's, it's, the, first part of, it's the first part of gathering is, you know, gather. God would encourage you and challenge you that your commitment level hasn't been all that great. You're easily distracted. Um, or maybe there are other ways that, that um, he's asking you to show up. Secondly, engage, take part. Figure out where you can be getting the most out of the time. So maybe that's learning how to take better notes. Maybe that's um, figuring out how to minimize distractions if you can. Maybe that means getting, getting help in understanding the text in a way that you don't. Um, and honestly, maybe that means this morning you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus 
And the take part is believe. See Jesus as he has sacrificed himself for you and accept it. Trust him for your salvation. Receive the forgiveness. And then finally, then turn around and help other people. Look for the ones, look around you to see, is somebody else struggling this morning and needs encouragement? Is, does somebody else need help? Are there, is there a team that I can join that, to in, encourage and be useful in part of what we do here? Um, just going to say it. Th- there is definitely one. We announce it like every week, you know, with, with child care. I know that's not for everybody, but maybe it's for you. Um, so all of us can do all of these things. It may not all look the same, but we all can do all of these things. Thankfully, none of us is alone or was meant to be alone. We were given each other so that we all grow up into the headship of Christ, as Paul said to the Ephesians. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. So would you pray with me to that end? Lord, thank you so much that you are, you've given yourself to us. And as your word says, look at what you have done. It is marvelous in our eyes. We're amazed. We're unworthy, but we're certainly grateful. So Lord, help us to to rest on Jesus, rest on the work that he has accomplished to be so satisfied in him that it spurs us into a life that reflects him. And Lord, because we know we are not perfect and we don't do that all the time, then help us to push one another forward so that we really are spiraling upward. We ask this so that starting with us, that we would know and then this community would know The state would know, this country would know, this world would know that there is a God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. In his name we come, amen.